there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hey, welcome back to F3, Net Zero Carbon, coming to you live from the FreightWaves TV stage here in Chattanooga. The stage today is sponsored by Steam Logistics. Thank you guys for hosting. Um, I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show, as you all know, where we focus on decarbonizing value chains with a specific focus on freight, fuels, and energy. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Rob Pluta, CTO and VP of New Products at Rider System. Thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. How's the event going so far? It's it's a great event. It's a lot of a lot of great vendors, a lot to see. Uh, nice cozy environment, which which has been really really good to see. Great weather outside, Floridian. It's hot back home, so this is this is a nice change. It's yeah, you came event. you came to Tennessee in the perfect three week sweet spot of yeah, the fall is, with the leaves is, changing and cool nights. This is as cold as I like it, so it's perfect. <laughs> well, we're so glad to host you. Why don't we kick it off a little bit with the background on you, background on Ryder. Uh, maybe just a quick, you know, how is the company structured and where do you fit into that puzzle? Sure. Um, so Rider overall, uh, the best way to look at it from a structure perspective is we have our uh, fleet management FMS side of the business as well as our supply chain dedicated uh, side. So that's a nice way to look at it from a division. Um, my role specifically is more so on the fleet management side, responsibility for our EV go-to-market uh, strategy as well as our connected vehicle uh, spending time in autonomous, as well as a lot of our digitization, customer enablement, uh, digital tools, fleet management type of capabilities. Um, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of vehicles, obviously, in our fleet, uh, our own vehicles in our dedicated pool. We have a large rental footprint, as well as serving many, many customers out there uh, in a number of vehicles across the country. A lot to break down there, so we'll start double-clicking yeah. into some yeah. of those titles. But maybe a quick background before you joined Ryder, because you've been here for about a year. Uh, yeah. You had a lot of... 10 years or so in the, the passenger space. So talk yeah. to me about making that switch from passenger to a big giant like Ryder. Yeah. And so, so first of all, industry, I, I come from transportation, automotive passenger space, and I didn't realize how complex this industry was. I just thought I was going to a larger vehicle um, and incredibly complex. There's a lot going on in just logistics, movement of goods, vehicles, manufacturers, suppliers, partners, uh, so still a year in, a little bit over a year into it, drinking through a fire hose. Um, it, it's, it, it's been great. Uh, Ryder's just been a spectacular company to join. What drove me to the company is uh, the technology and the innovation and forward-looking uh, capabilities that, driver, that Ryder is developing. That's what got me excited. That's, that's why I wanted to be here. Part of these types of initiatives feels like it's early in the industry feels like we're able to make an impact. And that's, that's, that's what brought me to Ryder. Large organization, but really doing an outstanding job of balancing managing the current business and driving a lot of new innovation in the industry, new products, new development, innovation, startups. We have a ventures arm uh, that was covered in another session here. Uh, so really, really pr- looking forward at what are some future business customer opportunities, as well as continue to support our existing uh, footprint. I love hearing it. I'm glad you landed there. We at FreightWaves, you know, very much believe that the industry is being disrupted by tech, by new technologies. And it's fun to see incumbents like Ryder that are that large sort of trying to disrupt themselves through a lens of constant improvement, right? How do we make the experience better for our customers? You guys are a publicly traded company and just released, uh, you and I were talking earlier, your first sustainability report came out a few weeks ago. So I'm excited to dive into that. But we know a big piece of long haul transportation and even short haul 
is emissions from fuel combustion. You guys have a huge ICE fleet. How are we starting to think, how is Ryder starting to think about the EV transition as part of your fleet? Where are you guys um, investing your resources right now into that? Yeah, uh, first of all, our our significant investment in just education and keeping a pulse on the industry. There's a lot going on out there. And we have uh, an effort to understand the, the landscape, understand who's who, what's hype, what's reality, what are some of the timelines, what are some of the constraints. And we're doing that internally, but really doing it also to sell, serve our customers. We have a lot of customers that have specific goals and objectives and, and sustainability goals and, and, and corporate goals that they're trying to achieve. And there's regulation and pressures that they are also facing, and they're coming to us asking for help. So we're spending a lot of time investing in understanding and helping us and the customers make the right assessment, identify the right use cases, and plan out the right rollout of the appropriate vehicles. So we're looking at yard tractors. We're looking at larger uh, heavy-duty vehicles. We're looking at traditional, non-traditionals as well, trying to understand where are they in their evolution and and what is their uh, key to success in some cases. So we're keeping an eye on that. And we're looking at light duty as well. There's great opportunity with light duty vehicles that we think is a great opportunity for many of our customers to start getting into this space. Again, a lot to break down there. We got to double click into it. Um, We talk about this concept a lot on the show. If you're a freight logistics service provider, you have a customer base that's coming to you saying, I need help reducing my emissions. How can I do that? We don't yet have solutions and tools at scale that are economical in almost all cases for people to plug and play this. So when you think about your customers, the logistics service providers, being asked to deliver decarbonization goals for their customers, how do we start? You mentioned it a second ago. Can you just talk a little bit more about the education piece of getting... Um, the complexity explained in a way where your fleets, your customers that are coming to you for solutions now can then take that and go back to their customers and say, hey, here's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, and, and it, it, I think automatically the conversation starts with the vehicle, and that's what they come asking about. But we immediately pivot that conversation to holistic view around you know infrastructure that's a topic that's not top of mind for many of our customers and and we start educating them and helping them to understand what how they need to plan for the infrastructure implications of where they're going from an ev vehicle perspective so uh based on the size of the vehicle based on the type of charging requirements they will have based on the locations based on the routes uh whether the vehicles are domicile in a certain location or not so we're helping them to map all of that out because in some cases, if they're planning big, these are 12, 18, 24-month timeframes. When they start working with utility companies, sometimes they, these turn into pretty significant construction projects. So we're trying to help them to map out that time frame and in parallel start working towards the vehicle time frame. So it's a parallel process not vehicle first, and then let's think about infrastructure later because of those timeframes. When we start talking about the vehicles themselves, the preparation a lot is just understanding their specific use case and what they're trying to do and what is the best way to inject some of these vehicles into their pool. Many, many of our customers have looked at yard tractors. I mentioned earlier as an example. Um, the use case there works. It's a great way to introduce an EV vehicle. It is the uh, it, location, the usage of it, uh, nightly charging capabilities, some of those things worked, and it has allowed our customers to experiment and learn. And at the same time, we've gotten great feedback from the drivers, for example, on the utilization of those assets. Um, the other conversation we're having with our customers is we're hearing a lot about 
not just the unknown in education, but this apprehension around not knowing where to start. And they want to try before they buy almost in some cases. So we've seen that as a great opportunity to put some vehicles into our rental fleet. We've uh, introduced a number of them recently. Our customers are already taking advantage of that. Some of those are short-term. Some of those are longer-term uh, commitments that they're using these vehicles and leveraging them and learning themselves on how they fit into their business model. Is that specific kind of try-before-you-buy model more prevalent in light duty for you guys because that's where the yeah. vehicle models are available? And do you see that being replicable on the medium to heavy-duty side? And second follow-up question, how many EV are already in the fleet that you guys are operating? Yeah, the, the, I'm going to answer your second question first. Uh, small footprint right now. So we have uh, a handful of uh, light-duty vehicles right now in rental initially over the last uh, recently that were introduced. But we have a number of other pilot tests, engagements that are happening with our own internal customers, our dedicated or uh, supply chain side, or rental, or, or some of our uh, external uh, customers as well. So we're spending quite a bit of time um, uh, providing those capabilities to them right now. And your first question was? First question was, I've already forgotten it, so yeah. we can move on to okay. the next one. All right, sorry. <laughs> sorry, we're not as professional as everybody yeah. thinks we are here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's easier. Is it easier to, once you get the truck available and it actually starts getting produced and delivered to you, is it easier to sell the idea of an electrified fleet to the customer's customer? Meaning, do you have fleets that are coming on their own behalf looking to reduce their own emissions, or are they all being pushed? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think it, it's a little bit of both, honestly. We have some of our customers coming in that are very, very educated. They have their own goals and objectives and coming to us as a way to look for a partner to help them to start slow maybe and start introducing these vehicles into their, into their fleet. And it is driven by them. Others are coming in, are trying to find a way to respond to the pressures, whether it's their customers' pressures or based on the location or where they're serving the market, and there's other regulatory pressures and timelines that they have to meet, and they are being pressured to do it, the challenge they're facing is the overall total cost of ownership. Many of them are looking at it from, and I think that, I think that goes back to your pr prior question, uh, from a TCO perspective, that's, that's something we're really spending a lot of time with our customers to help them understand where this fits in holistically, what the implications are, where some of the, everyone talks about savings and maintenance savings and, and fuel savings. So we're trying to understand what that looks like in their specific scenario and how that's offset by some of the potential incremental costs that they have to incur on the vehicle, infrastructure, and so on. Um, what we are also seeing is the light duty market is a little more attainable right now, just based on availability is one. There's, there's a number of manufacturers that are delivering now in 2023. We feel like it's going to be a, a, a very good year where there's a lot of projections around some, some large quantities coming out in the light duty. Uh, range is pretty good. Payload is pretty good. Uh, costs are closer to parity with their ICE counterparts. So the, the business case there starts to make a little bit more sense right now. Infrastructure implications are much less, so easier for them to uh, implement these into, into their pool. And then we're keeping an eye out on the larger uh, vehicles as well, looking for continued disruptions, battery costs, range, all those things that are going to have to continue evolving um, in order for that to make sense. For sure. It's still super early um, for this industry, even though I feel like everywhere we're 
turning even in this hall, everybody's like, when can I have an EV? Let's get it on. So setting that context and understanding, even once you have a model available, infrastructure takes time, deployment takes time, understanding the actual TCO coming in and having real data and invoices that you can actually start to see it and then publish white papers and start to scale from there. So we're in the early innings of a longer slog here. You mentioned something that I think plays an important role in this, and that's the regulatory piece of it. We know a lot of these trucks are going to be deployed where you have subsidies and um, carrots and sticks, right, out in California for the most part. How do you guys handle or help customers m navigate the regulatory landscape, whether it's grant writing, applying, understanding, how to report? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And we have dedicated members of our team that are living and breathing this every day, trying to understand the... The requirements, again, trying to understand the pressures and what the implications will be on customers and helping them map out the timeline and trying to understand the grants and incentive availability in different parts of the country uh, and helping our customers not only to identify what makes sense and what applies to their specific vehicle or use case, but what's the process? How do we help them to kind of shepherd them through the process of applying uh, and actually receiving those, those funds? Because in some cases, they're pretty significant. There's some significant offsets that they can take advantage of, uh, vehicles, infrastructure, and so on. Um, so we want to we want to be able to help them. Again, uh, most customers are don't really have a great understanding of where to start. Uh, so dedicated resource really keeping tabs on it, and it's a, it's a it's a constantly changing, evolving landscape that uh, we're helping to map our customers to. Good to hear. We know that there's kind of three legs to this stool of getting EVs to scale faster, right? We've got supportive policy, we've got makes and models coming available, and then we've got the demand side, whether it's coming from fleets or their yeah. own customers. When we take a step back and say, how does this electrification movement start to correlate or come together with the autonomous opportunities that we're seeing in there? Tell me how Ryder is evaluating both of those spaces and where whether there are synergies or you could see those coming together at one yeah. point in the future. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a that's an ex excellent question. I think right now, and there's a lot of discussions here around autonomous as well. And today, they may seem like a little disconnected or parallel efforts. There's a lot of development, uh, manufacturing, innovation happening on the AV space, and Ryder is very, very, very engaged, investing a lot of time and effort into that. Part of the part of the industry through a lot of uh, alignments uh, with some of the major players, EV is a separate component right now. But there's definitely a convergence. And you look at convergence from uh, the obvious one is infrastructure. We hear around the hub model for AV, where there's infrastructure being built out to support the autonomous changeover network. Those may be ideal opportunities to start thinking about charging infrastructure as well. If you start thinking about construction projects and building out, you know, working with your utility companies. So just there's definitely a, a planning opportunity between those two industries. The other one I see is uh, technology and vehicle uh, connectivity. There's a lot of uh, innovation and technology being driven within the autonomous vehicle and a lot of data and a lot of insights that you can get from the utilization of that vehicle. That's also happening on the EV front. Uh, devices, uh, battery utilization. Uh, so a lot of what we're seeing from the EV companies now is they're building these vehicles from a technology ground up perspective and just tremendous amount of data and information available. I see those as, as converging in terms of opportunity to better understand the vehicle, better understand how those vehicles can be optimized. Um, so I, I think technology and data is another convergence points between, the, between those two. It's a point we talk about here a lot at Freight Waves just because we believe in the power of data and high transparency, good quality data to drive insights and actions. 
I was thinking more along the lines of operationally, as you're talking about that hub and spoke model, that makes so much sense, right? Even with the models we have coming out, if you're going reasonably long regional halls on the autonomous front, and then you're doing last mile electric deliveries from a hub, yep. that interchange just makes so much sense. And then what remains to be seen is what do we do for that longer leg in between? Yep. Are we looking at low carbon fuels? Is hydrogen a player? Are we talking EV that whole way? Um, obviously, I'm just looking for predictions here because nobody knows the answer. But if I put it to you like this, tell me where next year, when we're back at this conference, yep. where do you think the industry has evolved and what are the like hurdles that we need to overcome to continue scaling? Yeah, I, I think your, your point around the, the, the fueling and alternative options out there. I think we're keeping an eye on everything. I think there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of different opportunities. There are a lot of investments right now happening by a lot of uh, manufacturers to, to not only look at the, 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 the battery electric side of the business, but looking at hydrogen and others. Um, Obvious infrastructure implications, and it goes a lot more into the planning of that. Uh, but we're trying to see where and how that fits in. Um, as far as my predictions, the crystal ball for 2023, um, I would say um, definitely on the light duty, uh, I see a lot of momentum coming this coming year. Uh, I know from a lot of the engagement discussions we've had, we see a lot of the uh, availability becoming real in the next 12 months or so. And I see a lot of customer interest in that case. And so there's, there's definitely going to be momentum, significant momentum there. Um, I think... Uh, we're hopeful that the disruption and innovation continues in the larger heavy-duty vehicles themselves. Um, I think that's going to have to continue advancing. I know we've seen uh, the manufacturers continue facing some of the pressures. There's uh, delays in some of the manufacturing cycles and delivery cycles. So I still think 2023 in those cases is going to be more of a uh, slower ramp-up, maybe some... Uh, initial deliveries, but not uh, a complete, you know, floodgates open on the larger vehicles themselves. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for infrastructure, too. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity out there that, you know, it's a great year for people to start planning for that within 2023 as they map out the, the future vehicles. That's what I want to see more of is just people putting plans in place to start exactly. moving that direction. Because until you do that, yeah. none of this is going to happen. Yeah. So we did the crystal ball question. Let's do a magic wand question now. So if there's one thing that's going to scale riders fleet electrification process, what do you need more of to see? Is it more customers coming in demanding the solution? Is it more OEMs providing makes and models? Yeah. Don't say all the above because that's cheating. Yeah, no, I, I think the customers, I think the customers are there if the, if the business model and the TCO makes sense and if the vehicle makes sense for their case. So I don't, we don't have a shortage of customer interest. I think if I could wave a magic wand, I think it would be continue driving the cost down of those vehicles. I think continue addressing some of the range payload limitations and continue bridging that gap between what the customer expects or needs and where we are just from an overall life cycle innovation, first generation of vehicles. And I think the, as fast as we can bridge that gap, I think would be we would be able to deliver those solutions to customers quicker. And that's, that's, that's where I would see the need. I don't, I don't see a big problem on the customer side. I would love to see all those things come true yeah. too. I am a little worried and I wonder, you know, your take or rider's take, even as we think about the freight market macro sentiment heading into 2023, just understanding where rates are and where the economy's headed. Do we think that's going to be an outsized kind of headwind for continuing to adopt these new technologies? Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a good question. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I possibly. I, I think it's too early to tell. I think it's, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to try to understand and, and how this fits in and how it applies to our customers. But yeah, really too early, I think. Got it. Tell me, I'd like to ask everybody that comes on the show a little bit, why this focus on sustainability matters to you personally? Like what's, what's kind of your story and why is it an area you want to continue to promote and scale and invest in? Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I had a interesting dinner conversation with someone last night and it's, it's about just uh, the point of being able to make an impact and being able to make an impact to what we know is, is addressable and being part of the initial process of helping to map out, helping to drive the solutions, the technologies, and helping to push and drive the goals for everyone. I think personally, I'm passionate about that. I'm excited about that to be able to do that. I, I have kids. I want my kids to grow up in a, in a, in a great place. And I, I see these as things we can all do things together on. So it's, yes, we're being pushed and there's regulations that are forcing our hand in some cases, but I really think it's the right thing to do. And, and I'm excited to be part of it. I'm excited, uh, you know, to, to, to help to try, try, try to innovate it. And that's, that's what gets me up in the morning. Honestly, it's just the the art of the possible and, and knowing this is this the, 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 this can be done yeah i relate to that very much and yep. congratulate that we need more and more and more and more and more and more and more Absolutely. of that sentiment in the industry i think something people forget a lot of times when we're talking about disruption and new technologies especially in the the lens of sustainability and esg is how important it is to the next generation not just our kids growing up in healthy and safe environments which we all want but thinking about who's going to be the, the workers coming out of college in the next five, 10 years, every single one of them that comes out wants to do exactly what you just said. I want to go somewhere and work where I can have an impact, where I can disrupt and make positive change. And we're bringing a lot of outside talent into the freight space because from an emission standpoint and an ESG landscape, it's just been stale for so long. We haven't iterated and improved beyond the diesel engine for lots of really good reasons. Um, but people are coming in now and want to change that. So I would just encourage people as we're do a self-evaluation and understand if the company I'm working for has a goal, how can I contribute to that? How can I help internally drive those conversations? Is writers seeing that in the workforce? Because you guys are an yeah. enormous publicly traded organization. How do the younger employees view writers' sustainability yeah, goals? It's, it, it's actually funny you ask this. I, we just brought someone new into our team within the last couple of weeks. And a couple, couple years out of college, um, really passionate and really excited. And the specific thing she was looking for is an environment where she can help make an impact on her own personal environmental sustainability objectives that she has. And she's extremely excited about it. And that's exactly what she was looking for. She was looking for an environment and a role where she can be part of that. So we're absolutely seeing it. We just brought her on and she's part of the team. So I think it's, it's the, the, we're, we're seeing that for sure. I think it's important for companies to publish and bring awareness to their goals and what they're doing about it because it helps to provide visibility to that talent pool out there as far as what this company happens to be doing and where they're driving what they're passionate about. So I think it's a great opportunity to bring talent into organizations and we've just seen it personally. Yep. That's great to hear. We know culture wins and I'm just really inspired to hear how Ryder is investing in this space and I'm looking forward to coming back next year, seeing everything you guys have been able to put on. Thank you for coming on the show. Any uh, last thoughts for, for the audience? Say hi to the kids at home, live audience here today. Hi kids. Um, <laughs> no, this was, this was great. Um, uh, I, I enjoy the show. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm excited. I'm excited for what's coming. I think the next one, two, three years, I think they're going to be pivotal 
Um, uh, Ryder again is is investing significantly into all those innovations. Um, I think what we're really, really, really going to focus on uh, is being almost a consultant to our customers and helping to stitch it all together. So it's not just the vehicle, it's not just the infrastructure, it's not just the grants, it's not just the data and information and telematics, but holistically. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited over the next uh, couple years of how we can help to guide our customers and potentially help to impact and influence the industry. Buckle up, everybody. It's going to be fun. Ready. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.